Welcome, and thank you for listening to the New Day Podcast. We are located in South Kansas City, proclaiming the good news of God's grace to our region and abroad. If you'd like more information, please visit our website, newdaykc.org. Well, but today we're going to do this, uh, this fifth posit, but just by way of reminder, we're doing this in order to study the character nature, we call it that, but really it's the attributes of God and what some of them are and how we get there and what it really means, but without a foundational, uh, I use the term posit, which means a foundational thing that's a, like a pillar that holds up how we get to know God. What is God really like? Because we'll say things like God's merciful and then that means 40 different things to 20 different people in the room. And, and then you get all kinds of weird traditional sayings with it. So like if we say, well, God's merciful all the time and then somebody goes, but don't you be more merciful than God is. And you go, What? How can, you know, and we have these, so that's what I'm trying to look at, and look at how do we gain an understanding, and today, today's message is really important because it's one of the things in looking at of why we get mixed up with that kind of stuff. So the first four were this, there's a paradox between the spiritual realm and the natural realm, and we use scriptures to show all this. They exist together, but they are separate there is overlap, but they are, and it is very puzzling. Um, there is an inability, the second positive is this, in the natural realm to use reason to comprehend God. That's why people don't, and that's why Jesus in his conversation with Nicodemus, he was trying to explain to him that you can't, I'm speaking to you about the kingdom of God and you can't understand this because you're not born again. As a matter of fact, you can't even see this. You can't enter it or see it because you're not born again. Then the third one is, therefore, there is a necessity of faith and love to understand the knowledge of God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. I will tell you this, without faith, it's impossible to know God. And faith, it says in Ephesians, is a gift from God. When it talks about where our salvation, are you saved by grace through faith? And that not of yourselves, that it is a gift of God. The very fact that we have faith to believe in that, it says that every person's been given a measure of faith. Now, we do weird measurements with that, but that's for another sermon. Last week, we talked about that there is a unity within God's being. We talked about the, the Trinity and the understanding of that. And one of the things that I want to say before we leave that is this. God never suspends. This is why unity in his being is so important. God never suspends one of his attributes to enact another. God does not suspend his justice to enact his mercy. In all of God's mercy, his justice is found. And in all of God's justice, his mercy is found. He doesn't go, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good today. You're forgiven, you're forgiven, you're forgiven. But you, you are going, it's just, 
That's not who God is. He doesn't break the unity with his being. The other thing that's important about that is this. God doesn't need us. God doesn't need anything. He's complete within the unity of his own being. He doesn't do anything out of need. He doesn't do anything because his arm gets twisted to make him, well, can't you just give us a little here, God? Give me an inch. Uh, Though we often treat it that way in prayer, don't we? Uh, He is complete within himself. God is a complete being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But that doesn't mean that he discards us. Doesn't mean that he doesn't want us or care for us or love us, but he doesn't need, like we need, I don't, you know, we need to be loved as human beings to be okay. God doesn't need to be loved to be okay. He is love. He doesn't need our worshipful response, but he receives it. Isn't that incredible about who he is? That's really important. So the fifth one is this, and it's real. If you can get this, this will help bring soundness to your understanding of the knowledge of God. This one's real, really important, and it's sort of a two-parter. They go together. We in this realm are bound by time and covenants to gain access to the knowledge of God. We are finite beings. That means every heartbeat is a measurement for you. God is not bound by that. God knew the time that you would be born. He knows the time when your heart will will go through that last beat. And that's it. And then it says, and then we stand before him. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But that everything is measured by time. Um, It's granted to us. Time's actually a gift. But here's the difficulty. Us being in time, God is not. God is not, how is he not bound by time? He operates in time, but he's not bound to time. And time doesn't work the same for him as it does for us because he's infinite. He is not finite. There is not a beginning and end to God. He is the beginning and the end. God, and it's really, it's such a benefit for us that God resides outside of time. And then the reason it's really important that we see things like this is because time is a boundary and there is no boundary for God, even in time. Um, Time (laughs) is bound here in this realm But the very word eternity means that time is not bound. Eternity means that it continues forever. One of the ways to look, here's a a really key, and it's, it's actually a very fun way to look at God. So Peter explains this. He says, look, God doesn't measure things the same way we do. He says, for with the Lord, a day is as a... 
you know, there's a thousand years. You go, well, how, how does that work? Well, a really enjoyable thing to do is to go, for God, now think through this, if that is accurate, and we use it as a time, and you really, you can't. I'm doing this using weak human language to look at it. You know, the cross was just like, just over two days ago for him. For us, it's been all of antiquity up till now. It's been over 2,000 years since Jesus died and rose from the grave. That's just a couple of days ago for him. It's right here for him. It's to get our understanding of time in God. We're so bound by time, we look at seconds and minutes. We, we measure a race by milliseconds. You know, you watch the downhill skiers and it's, you know, 4.5, Now they're getting so close and have to get the accurate who got across the line first. God does big stuff with time. He doesn't look the same way we do. He talks about seasons. He talks about generations. Um, he, he talks about ages, eons, in the word. In the, so he sees it because he's not bound by time. He sees all that. I don't know. You could do a weird Star Trek thing, go to the time-space continuum. But it's, it's not that. But it is something much greater than that. And it's one of the things that leads us, when we don't have a right understanding of this, to put faulty concepts on God and time. And then also the disappointment. Now think about the word disappointment. If you have an appointment, it's going to arrive at, well, the doctor said be there at 11.45, and then those health personnel show up about 12.15 and leave me sitting there. Not that I'm looking at anybody. Uh, you... Uh, this is not so with God. These things aren't, we're not, he's not bound by those things the way we are. And he moves and operates and he sees your life, though it's lived by the millisecond, he sees your life complete. The reason it's so important is because he, when you receive Christ, he sees your time in Christ. Does that make sense? He's not seeing you. We measure things and we tell our testimonies before I met the Lord and after I met the Lord. And God goes, I knew you in your mother's womb. And he's like, yeah, that part we don't like, so we're not going to talk about it, right? He knows you. That's why time's so important. He knows you. He knew how many <coughs> hairs or lack of hairs <laughs> we would have. He knows you. And then I can enter into this understanding. This is who God is. This is how he wants to reveal himself to me. And then as he does that... Um, he uses scriptures that help us to understand the hearing. Look at, so look, I'm going to read from Ephesians 3. 
Paul's talking. Now remember, this is about God and time. And then the second part, which is tied to covenants. Paul says, for this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation, time word, of the grace of God which was given to me for you. So he says, within your time there was a grace given to me. How that by revelation he made known to the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge of the mystery of Christ, which in other ages, so he's distinguishing that he's writing to the people that are called the church in Ephesus, you're in a different age. Are you following it? They're in a different time was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed by the Spirit in his holy apostles and prophets. That the Gentiles, now he, he, he takes it down to a narrow concept, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ. He's saying, as people were going through time, as I cre as God created, and they were going through time, there were things that they didn't understand about what God was doing. He says, something's changed. Something marvelous has happened when Jesus came incarnate, when God entered into the earth and then after into people to live inside of them to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ and for this to the intent that now extremely important little word we've talked about how important the word now is to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God, that means the many-faceted wisdom of God, might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. The church isn't just the witness here. It goes beyond that scope. According to the eternal purpose, now he's talking about eternity, which he accomplished, already done, in Christ Jesus our Lord. What did he just say? It takes a whole lot of unpacking. Because it's talking about a God who is not bound by time, but that time bound the understanding of God. To us, not to him. He always saw all people coming in. He always knew. So earlier in Ephesians 1, he talks about, 
He goes outside of the time. We're going to use you, Brian, as a, an example. He says, before, you know, it's, it's, like, it's like watching Lord of the Rings again. You know, the foundation stones. Before the foundations of the world, I presented you to me holy and blameless. What? God presented us. You struggle on a second-by-second, minute-by-minute, daily thing to see yourself as holy. Don't tell me you don't struggle with it, because we all do. That's what I've been trying to live in the gloriousness of this understanding. God's already, you haven't died yet, and he's already presented you to himself as a gift. I am a gift of God to God. But you are. You don't know how mad I am at myself. God's presented you to himself as a gift. What? The reason it's so important is that we embrace the understanding of this is because it will change your interaction and your knowledge and your understanding of who God is now. So these are big concepts, but listen, they're not too big. A child can understand this. So the child understands it this way. He always loved me. God always loved me. He will never stop loving me. And forever and ever and ever and ever and ever God will love me. That's how important it is. Because it's, it's receiving what he's done. And Paul said, this was a mystery. They tried to... They tried to think through this. They tried to look at, at uh, what they called holy scriptures to understand this. They searched the scriptures looking for Messiah and when he showed up they didn't even see him. But that's you and I. And that's why it's so important that we take this because here's what he's talking about. All of this is God showed up and made a new deal in Jesus Christ. The time of the new covenant. So if you look through your Bibles, it actually speaks of there are several covenants. Now a covenant is an arrangement between God and someone else in which God reveals who he is. So you have the covenant of Noah. God revealing himself that of how he would not destroy the earth again over these parameters. You have the covenant of Abraham, which is this. It's really the closest thing that we have, Abraham had. He says, oh, I'm going to bless you. I'm just going to bless you like crazy. And I'm going to make a whole, I'm going to bless the whole earth out of you. And he gives him this as a gift and he walks in it. There's the covenant of Moses, or also it's called the covenant of law, by which God, in revealing himself to a particular people group, bound himself to those people group, but it was conditional. They had to meet the conditions because actually they didn't want an unconditional one. When God tried to reveal who he was to them, they said, oh no, just you tell Moses, and he'll come tell us what to do, and we'll do it. Did it work? 
Nope. Why did God allow that? So would we would understand that. Then the time of the new covenant comes. And this is what Paul is writing about. And the finished work of Christ. And it's through the new covenant that we now understand who God is and what he's like. It's really important. Listen to Hebrews 9. For Christ, speaking of what he's done, this mystery that Paul was writing to the Ephesians church, for Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself. Now to appear in the presence of God for us. And the word now means now always. Now ongoing. Not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. Here comes those two words again. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed for men to die once... But after this, the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Throughout the New Testament, which describes and teaches the new covenant, we find God relating to us through one thing. His son. Why is that so important? Today, the reason it's so important is because we've mixed up all the covenants through our traditions, sometimes through false teaching, sometimes through misunderstanding, sometimes through false doctrine. Um, We've embraced a view of God that is determined by other covenants to know him in this one. And it is this one by which he came so that we could know him. Now think through that. So we find it in lots of ways in which that causes us, I, I call it grabbing. So we try to navigate our life in God and our understanding of who God is and how to do Christianity, how to live the life, how to engage with him and and understand him. And so we take the fact that we're in Christ and then we start pulling from the different covenants. And uh, man, it doesn't feel like he's paying any attention to me right now in this time. So I think I will do this and then he will pay better attention to me. Well, you're living under a condition. You're living under something that the new covenant didn't ask you to do. Didn't ask you to partake of. And so it still remains. Now think of what he wrote in Ephesians. When you do that, God remains a mystery. You don't understand him. If you want to understand God, guess who it comes through? Jesus. And the new covenant that he brought. 
Ephesians 1. Or not Ephesians 1. Hebrews 1. Now, the writer of Hebrews is writing this to Hebrew believers that lived in Jerusalem at the time of the, tem the temple's about to be destroyed. It's just before 70 AD. They have started to follow Jesus and they're struggling because everything's going wrong in their city. The Romans have gotten more ruthless than they were ever with them. People are starving. People can't even get water to drink. They are at their wits end and so they're they start going back to the temple to, to try and understand and go, what God are you doing? And so the writer of Hebrews writes this whole entire book to explain to them how now to understand God and who he is. So we see this. Is this, like, are you guys tracking with me? I need some head. Okay. You know, I know this is a little more teaching aspect to it. But listen to Hebrews 1. God, who at various times, and this is the beginning of the letter, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us how? By his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory in the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Whew. Now there's about 27 sermons in there to unpack. But for the sake of time, I just want to say this. In our time, Jesus speaks about who God is through Jesus. Everything that you will need to know about God is found in Jesus. The reason is it's important is we don't discard, and Paul taught this, you know, um, the law and the prophets. That's what he was referring to when he referred to scriptures. But you have to understand that the writing of this, the book of Hebrews, wasn't a holy scripture. We call it that today. The people that this person was writing to didn't have the letters from to the Ephesians. The writer of Hebrews starts unpacking. If you want to see a difference between the old covenant and why it's gone away and why you don't want to live there, read and study the book of Hebrews. Because it unpacks and says, we have left those things and we have now entered into a different time. Wasn't God always the same? Yes. But how he revealed himself was bound by time and the covenants. If God is love, how could he have different covenant? He didn't change. He was always love. But he 
And so when you try and mix up your understanding of God without going through Jesus and the new covenant, that's why the understanding of the new covenant, I teach on it at least once a year in some form with us now. Because we are not... You know in Acts where it says in him we live and move and have our being? That is life for us. In him is life. Paul wrote it over and over and over and over again. And if you want to understand how we are to relate to God and understand him in light of the new covenant, there are two books you have to spend a lot of time with. Hebrews and Romans. And then there's two key phrases. You've seen me use these before. But now, and but God. Just look, or sometimes it leaves the, the conjunctive B-U-T off, and it's just now. But he writes these to people in time so that, they, that we can understand this. And so he does a compare and contrast. He will tell you, all these things, but now God is doing this. Romans is explicit with it. The book of Hebrews is explicit with it. Why? Because we like to go up and live outside of the boundaries that we think we put on ourselves. And we try and grab things to wrestle meaning. And meaning is found in Christ. I used to think that the term in Christ was religious. Uh, you know, is what pastors said when I was, I don't know, little or growing up, although I wasn't around very many pastors. But it just seemed so religious. In Christ, there's solid rock. You know, it was just, seemed like this old term. But when you understand that the words in Christ are a reflection of the new covenant and what it means, they become life in this time. The here and now. I am not waiting for something in the future to happen to be in Christ. I am in Christ now forever. So that comes out in ways of, well, you're going to progressively get better and better. No, you have had righteousness given to you as a gift. And it's for all eternity. It cannot be stolen, taken away from you. You can't lose it. He gave it to you as a gift by what he did in this covenant. The biggest changes in learnings in my life have come in the past 10 years in understanding the dangers of mixing up the covenants. I was taught it. I was cultured to it. I accepted it. I received it. I put my Lloyd twist on it and I gave it to others. It all sounded wonderful, but it didn't work. It didn't work because I was trying to live in Christ by a covenant, a promise between God and a particular people in which all the conditions were on me getting it right. And guess what? 
I couldn't get it right. I tried. What I found was this, as I started entering in this, and that's why it's this posit so important. One writer puts it this way, calls it invisible legalism. It's a subtle mixture of the covenant of law and the covenant of grace. And this form of legalism accepts Christ's work as complete, but seeks to add to it by emphasizing our part. I cannot tell you as I've gone and taught this for the past 10 years, how many people have come up to me afterward and said, but what's my part? And then they're always shocked when I tell them to believe and receive. No, there's a requirement. Um, I have really good news for you. It's kind of rigged in your favor. That's the new covenant. What do you mean? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So that means I can do whatever I want. No, it means you live in Christ. It means something much different. The first thing we want to do is get free of the non-visible legalism. Then we want to attack the invisible legalism but the first thing that we want to do and it's so hard for the human mind to comprehend in this incredible new covenant that God has given you free free he says um, that it's such a funny saying so Paul writes in Galatian church he says well it's for freedom that you were set free what does that mean you don't, you're not bounded by things anymore. To live in freedom is, it's like, uh, there used to be an old song by Quicksilver Messenger Service, take another hit of fresh air. You know, it was back in the heavy days. <gasps> I'm free. I am so free in Christ. And therefore, what am I free to? To know stuff about him that was before a mystery and is now revealed in Christ to any who want it. I want to know God more. Just tell him that and then live in the new covenant. Don't use old covenant means to try and get it because you'll fail. How do you know that? The lines of reasoning use very creative language to emphasize our responsibility, but all of its foundation is faulty. That's what the book of Hebrews tells us. That kind of legalism, listen, it's hard to change, but it can. It's, and when it starts changing, you start understanding it. When you start understanding it, it starts changing things. And when it really starts changing things, sometimes you could stand in the yard and just go mad for joy. And then church, we get together and say, what's the Lord showing you? He came in the flesh. He died, took my sin 
died as me on the cross and was raised from the dead so I could. And we're not set, and we want to go beyond the boundaries of the Gospels. I'm gonna, so I'm going to search the Old Covenant to figure out who Christ is. Do you know how faulty that is? It's the same thing the Pharisees did. You're searching the scriptures to find Christ, and Christ says, I'll explain the scriptures, I'm here. You can know God to understand the scriptures, but if you're looking for, for Jesus in the Old Covenant, you're just going to get a picture and a shadow and a type the same way they did, because they were bound by a different covenant. You get to know the mind of Christ. They didn't. How was that fair? I don't know. It was the covenant. Paul was shocked by it. To me, he said, who was the least this mystery was revealed. He is stunned by it. To the Ephesian church, he's going, are you kidding me? I spent 14 years in Damascus in the desert. It so shocked me. And I had to unlearn everything that I learned that I might know him. And so he writes in his letters, but now, and then Christ is revealed. Isn't that, well, I'm telling you, this is such a foundation. I want to read you something written, you know, close with this, by an author who uh, I sort of use. He helped take, his name's Steve Wheeler, and he helped take his church and tried to help other church leaders take their church through a new covenant awakening. And so he wrote a book for pastors that's called The Highway to Grace. And uh, just listen to it. I think it'll draw you. After 20 years in the ministry, I had a rude awakening. I realized that I had been mixing the covenant of law into the gospel of grace. I was sincerely doing my best to preach the gospel as best as I knew how. But I confused the covenants that God made with Abraham, Moses, and Jesus. I spent years teaching that God's blessing is proportional to our fulfilling certain conditions. Year in and year out, I preached what you should be, what you shouldn't do, ten things you should do to get God to bless you. Pray harder, longer, louder. Twist his arm with a 21-day fast. Now... I am convinced beyond the shadow of a doubt that God's blessing comes solely because Jesus fulfilled the conditions for me. At the cross, Jesus cried out, It is finished. The Greek phrase used there is, uh, you've all heard it, I can't pronounce it, it's the tetelestai, and it means to be paid in full. It was a thing that they, they would utter. It says, this is a financial term, meaning that no debt remains outstanding. Many attending church religiously every week have no idea what was accomplished on the cross. You will never enjoy your inheritance when you remain ignorant of what is rightfully yours. To fully appreciate God's grace, we have to understand what the finished work of the cross means for us. So listen, he writes this. He says, at the cross... The old covenant was, obliter was obliterated. Every sin, past, present, and future, was forgiven and wiped out. Sickness, death, and hell were forever defeated. We were co-crucified, co-buried, and co-resurrected with Jesus. 
So because of the cross, we have become a new species recreated in Christ. So I, I, I've always used sort of a funny term with that. You're no longer a, a homo sapien. You're now a homo Christian. Because he made that word where he says, behold, all things are new. It actually means something that wasn't there. We have been seated at his right hand in the heavenly places. We just don't go there. We don't access it. And we reign in this life, he says in Romans 5, as kings through grace. We reign. We have authority through grace. We try to do it through legalism. That's why it doesn't work. For too long, God's goodness has been doubted and the work of the cross diluted. Mixing law and grace has caused the gospel to be polluted. Not separating the covenants has resulted in confusion. Grace is not just some subject we can tag along with all our other Bible doctrines. Grace is the essence of who Jesus is. You don't get to know Jesus without grace. It's what he came by, it says in John 1. What he did and how he will forever relate to us is through his grace. And all grace is this, his favor. Because he wanted to. Because he was good. To understand grace fully, we have to think of grace as being a person, not a doctrine. Grace was found fully in Jesus. He says in, in the chapter 1 of John, that the fullness of grace is in him. So he writes this, he says, I want to spend what's left of my life here on earth unapologetically declaring the gospel truth. God's grace given to us through his son, Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. So what is our part then? Our part is to believe this good news. Faith is a positive response to what he has already accomplished on the cross. Only faith pleases God. The Bible teaches that faith was deposited in our hearts as a gift when we heard the truth of the gospel. You have all the faith you need. All I have to do is exercise it. That's the new covenant way. How do I get to know God? By faith, I, I believe and receive what was shown about it what was written about it, but also this, the living word, what you know. Don't you kind of wonder what John meant when he said, you don't have need for anybody to teach you. The Holy Spirit will teach you all things. I love it. Because it, it removed the boundaries of, of time. It removed the boundary. All, all I, the only thing I'm bound now by is a new covenant. And it's a covenant of grace. So I can freely know the things given to me by God. There's no you must to get this. That's why you will never hear me. I joked about it in our group this morning. I'll close with it. You will never hear me call you to a 21-day fast. 
I believe that God can speak to your heart about fasting, but I don't believe God will speak to your heart about me fasting. And it's not because I'm rebellious. I just, I don't have to do that to get to know God. Now, there may be a specific reason he has me do something. He has you do it. Great. But don't tell me I have to live on coffee and tomato juice. In order to know God? Think through that. In order to know God? No, I know God through Jesus. And from what I have seen, there's no restriction. What do you want to know, kid? (laughs) And in blessing, I will bless you. And then when we do go back and reach into something, like the ironic blessing, and you understand so much differently than in Christ, and to generation after generation after generation after generation. Jesus explains the scriptures. We're convinced that the scriptures explain him. They're about him. But he will, remember when he talked to him? He said, you search the scriptures and I'm standing right here in front of you and you won't receive me. I am the word of God. So two phrases, but now and but God. And you will find, wherever you find those, you're going to, written in the New Testament, you're going to find the New Covenant. And it's wonderful. And the knowledge of God comes to us. I am more understanding of God's judgment now than I did when I was scared of it. Why? Because in Christ I've been judged. And there was no lack. There wasn't something that got left out. He was a perfect sacrifice. Will we stand before God and give an account? I'm going to account to Christ. (laughs) I will stand before God and so will you. There will be a judgment. You will be in Christ And Paul has the audacity. So just as you received him, now live that way. Oh. 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 Inspiration starts coming in. We call revelation starts coming in. And it kisses with your faith. And you know and you're known. Let me pray. Jesus, I pray for the revelation of the new covenant of who you are. You spent a whole lot of time making sure right before you went to the cross that they understood that you were establishing something different. That there was a break from the old way and that there was a new and living way that they would live in. Lord, we want to know that too. I ask for breaking up of old thoughts, old ideas, old covenant grabbings, hanging on to pieces that 
just don't count. And that you would release us to understand you more and more. Lord, open the eyes of our understanding in the coming weeks as we look at your attributes. Uh, We want to know you more. And because we do, you want to show us more. And each one of us believes that. I pray it for every child that's in here. That they would come to such a glorious knowledge of the gospel of grace. That they would change the generation that they live in. In Jesus' name. And now... May the love of God and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of his spirit be with you all and in you all. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you love on each other?